We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we're talking about week seven in the AFC East. The Buffalo Bills were on a bye, but the rest of the division was out there. Sowing chaos and just inflaming their own fan bases, each for very, very different reasons. We still won, even though we didn't play. That's it. The Bills, by not playing and not being a part of this AFC East trend of the weekend, somehow still come out of this as winners. I know we just started the show, ladies and gentlemen, but I have to open up a fresh Montucky for this conversation. We need two beers as we welcome Christian Simonelli to the program talking about the Patriots who lost to the Bears 36-14 to on Monday Night Football. And the craziest part about this is that the scoreboard is not the story of the night. <laughs> it's, Christian, how... I think how the first you, question should be, did you watch the entire game? Uh, I did, but you know what? You could take that Montucky and and shove it because that's how I feel right now. <laughs> I watched the I watched that entire thing. You could call a game. Yes, <sighs> Christian and I were. I was texting Christian throughout the third and into the fourth quarter. I was like, "This is amazing. This is everything." I was like, "I can't wait to talk to you on Wednesday." It. I've literally been looking for like I've been occasionally like I'd be at work working on a spreadsheet. And it would just pop into my head, like I get to talk to have I get to have this conversation with Christian this week, and it would bring a smile to my face. <laughs> so first of all, it's the triumphant return of Mac Jones that uh, led to fans chanting for Bailey Zappi before the first quarter even ended. Here's a question: When's the last time you can remember in your lifetime 
Patriots fans chanting at home to see the backup quarterback. Has it ever happened? I, I can't. I can't. Um, no, I, I, I can't. There, there is no other time that I can recall anybody, um, anybody cheering for anybody uh, else to come in at backup quarterback. No, at quarterback. And then I, nope. I, and then, and so, so the first half is going, and obviously Zappy comes in, and he has this. He's a spark plug. He just all of a sudden the offense is moving, and you're scoring points, and the the crowd. I mean, I I saw the uh, someone made the comment that it went from an NFL stadium to College Station, Texas, at at one o'clock on a Saturday, like. It was an NCAA atmosphere. All of a sudden, there was 30,000 extra people in the stands all screaming at the top of their lungs. That's the effect Zappy coming into the game and then scoring that touchdown had on that crowd. So obviously, there's a, there's a gravitation towards him by just in the minds of fans. I, I said to my wife, as the Bears kicked the field goal at the end of the first half and time's expiring, and I just said to her, kind of a throwaway comment, but I go, I wonder if they're going to show Mac Jones jogging off the field or if they're going to focus on Bailey Zappi. And it was a weird thing because the camera was on Jones for less than two seconds, almost like a, like, oh shit, <laughs> abort. I know that was in the notes to show Jones down the tunnel. And then they like refocused on Zappi, who's talking to his teammates and walking down the tunnel. Like, that doesn't, I guess at the time it doesn't seem like much, but I was like, I, I need to make a note of this. I need to make a note that this happened. Then you guys get, and I texted you at that point about the middle eight. And I was like, okay, yep. Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, same, same coaching tree, same philosophies. They always talk about the middle eight and how if, you know, the four minutes before the half and then the four minutes afterwards, if you don't win those, you're in a lot of trouble for for most football games. Right. So, so I texted you about it, and you agreed with me. That, like they, The Bears, if they come out and make some moves, this could go a long way and could be a mess. The Bears responded, and the Patriots came out of the locker room and just got devoured in that third quarter. I, what they had... <laughs> The Bears only scored six points, but they basically dominated. Oh, you guys had seven plays for four yards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just going back to your point about the stadium, um, my brother was at the game, and he said, "Oh boy, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in Tuscaloosa because mm-hmm. he went he went to an Alabama game one time because his his best friend's daughter uh, uh, went there, and he goes, incredible. He goes, you wouldn't believe it here. He goes, it doesn't. He goes, it does it sound like it on TV? I go, yeah, it sounds incredible." Um, but yeah, so they really, you know, and it was a Monday night game, so everybody was drinking since like one o'clock, so <laughs> everybody was pretty moved up, anyways. But yeah, they got devoured. They got devoured that second half. I, I think when I texted you, I talked about the linebackers. Yes, Fields had a field day with the linebackers uh, on Monday night. Absolute field day. Did whatever he wanted. Uh, Patriots had no answers. I can't remember a game that Bill Belichick was so thoroughly out coached. Other than I have to go back to the. 2008 Wildcat game when the Miami Dolphins came to G- Gillette Stadium and hung like 37 on them using the Wildcat. Like I can't, I, I can't recall a game where he was just thoroughly outcoached. Quite frankly, in all in all three phases of the game. Well, and what's and what's ugly about that is that a team came in, a team that has has hasn't had really any success throughout the course of the season or any sustained success, came in and didn't just beat you guys, but beat you up. 
like physically yeah. dominated the New England Patriots at home. I've seen the Patriots lose games on their own field. But you got to go back to the days of the Ravens in their prime to see a team that physically handed the Patriots their asses. That's not this Bears team. <laughs> it's not a two not at all. No, that's not a two win Bears team. And you watched something. There's this weird thing that happens. You know, you, Chris, we used to see it all the time with those Bills drought teams where they would just pick up injuries at an alarming rate. And you'd, you'd start to watch games where guys just seem like they were moving at half speed. And when you go up against a hyper aggressive team or a team that's playing a really physical brand of football, your team would just start collecting injuries. I saw that in teams that were, you know, four win Bills teams come week 15 that had nothing left to play for. Yeah. I've never seen it from a Bill Belichick coach team. And you saw the ripple effect. You know, they lose Duggar, he goes down. Phillips mm-hmm. goes down after that. The dirty hit from Pennell on Andrews that saw him wobbling off the field. Some of the, I mean, yep. first of all, that was a scumbag hit. I, I hear uh, Troy he got ejected too. Yeah, Troy, yeah and Troy Aikman's like, yeah. well, I don't know because I think it's a fight. You played yeah. the, you you played football. You've watched scumbag hits. That guy knew what he was doing. <laughs> he knew sure exactly. But it's the hammer and nail theory, like injuries that are the result of kind of waning effort, focus. You watched them pile up on the Patriots at kind of an alarming rate, and you guys just got bullied. And I've never seen that against a Bill Belichick coach team. Never. Especially not by a two-win football team. No, and at home. Um, The last game that I can say where they got just smacked in the mouth was here, was at home uh, in 2020 against the 49ers. They beat them. The 49ers came in and beat them 33-3 to or 33-10, to something like that, I think. And that was just like this game from Jump Street. They got whacked in the mouth, and they didn't have an answer. They didn't come back. They didn't respond at all. Um, they haven't been able to stop to run now, the Patriots, on a consistent basis in almost three years. First and foremost, that's number one. They can do it in spots. They can do it against teams. They did it against Cleveland. They, they, they did it against Detroit. They can do it in spots, but consistently stop the run. They haven't been able to do that in a very long time. Um, and it's just, it was, it was jarring. Quite frankly, as a fan, it was jarring to see. And, and then there's all the fallout. Like, that's the biggest story here. Like, I, I had to email myself some things because I'm sitting there on Monday because I'm a vulture. And I'm just like, all right, this is what I'm going to do with my day. I'm going to listen to WEI all day. All day I'm going to sit here like, like you know, as a resident, resident Italian, I'm going to like just sop this up. If I, I'm going to get some good bread and I'm going to sop oh, yeah. this up. I <laughs> <laughs> so I'm listening to the Greg Hill show. And they come in and they're talking about how last week they were running one of their hosts through the, they called it the lie detector. And they had like a sound effect, a soundboard going, and they would buzz every time they thought somebody was telling a lie or saying something that they didn't actually believe. Well, they gave Bill Belichick's press conference the lie detector treatment, and I laughed about that. But, like, you, I don't know, you hear that and you say to yourself, okay, this isn't good. Because the answers he's giving sound like Bill Belichick does a good job generally of not giving the media anything. Like I, I and I actually kind of begrudgingly respect him like a Greg Popovich way. I respect him for not having any patience for those guys because I think too many people entertain the media as it is. 
So I like the right. fact that he's a salty dog. But at the same time, when he's trying to craft this narrative that this was the plan, this was the plan all along, and then he's got players like some of your Hunter Henry, uh, Michael Owenwu, some of the people who should probably be in the know if your plan is to have multiple game plans for multiple quarterbacks. Who say Jacoby Myers? You Jaco- can add to that list. Yeah, who who go out and say I didn't know that this was going to happen. <laughs> it was yep. never discussed with us. So then there's another point where he comes on the Greg Hill trail. Bilicek was 20 minutes late to the his. They, they thought they were getting ghosted. They were like, "Is Bilicek going to stiff us?" Like mm-hmm. we were, he comes on the show and then defends his decision to tell people that he wanted to play both quarterbacks and almost got testy about it with the interviewers. Cause they asked, they asked the question. They were like, listen, this is the last time we'll bother you with it. Bill, you've got players who said they didn't know you're saying it was the plan. Can you just explain how they didn't know? And his response was not everybody needs to know everything about everybody else's job. They need to worry about their job and do it. <laughs> I was like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, really salty. So here's a question. Um, you yeah. as a fan hearing this and watching the fallout and now hearing that they're pivoting back to Mac Jones for another game. How would you grade between 0 and 10 Belichick's handling of this? And how do you think it's going over with the rest of the fan base? Zero. <laughs> No, no questions. You couldn't have handled it any worse. All you did was alienate Mac, and all you did was plant further seeds of doubt by by your actions on Monday night. Um, Don't you dare tell me that your plan was to have him play three series, throw a pick, and then bring the kid in for the rest of the game. Don't you dare tell me that was your plan. Because I can assure you, if they were up 17 to zip, Mac would still be in the game. So don't you dare give me that. Zero. Awful. Terrible. Um, and totally unpatriot, like on Belichick. Like, to literally, I mean, I can tell you for two decades, we've literally sat here and just pointed and laughed at the incompetence of other teams and coaching staffs. Now it, the, the script is completely flipped. We're, we're flipped. We're the laughing stock. It's just embarrassing. Um, and he needed to, which I think today, I think he really went a long way into correcting that. Field Eats had a report today around three thirty, four o'clock, and it's for those of you who don't know, Field Eats of ESPN is like the fifth Belichick or fourth Belichick son, however many kids he has, three, third, whatever. So Field Eats <laughs> and Joe Belichick are like neck and neck. Field Eats came out with a report today and said Mac Jones took ninety percent of the snaps of practice. He's gonna be the starter versus the Jets on Sunday. So he's, so, he's trying to get out in front of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he has another press conference tomorrow, too. Usually he doesn't have a press conference tomorrow. Usually it would be Friday. But the way that the week is set up, because they played on Monday, he's got another press conference tomorrow at 12. So he, he is notorious for saying, uh, if anybody has any questions about that, um, you know, he'll say, just doing what's in the best interest of the team. Or somebody will lead off, probably Mike Grayson, and say, is Mac Jones going to be the starter that, you know, on Sunday he'll say, uh, heading towards that way we'll see like he's still going to play that little game because there's part of him that enjoys playing that little game but i think he's using his friends in the media to get the word out there and actually i think just as important to his players like okay it's mac moving forward it's just funny to me because i'm i was watching this all play out and i had the thought to myself i go Okay, so they had their day in the sun, the you know, the Bailey Zappi, the Mac Jones thing. Obviously now Patriots fans everywhere are left with this concern over, do we have the answer? 
Is the answer long-term at quarterback on our roster? We don't know anymore. We don't know if that's a thing. At the same time, you look at this and I say to myself, I've walked this road. I've watched a head coach go out of his way to create a quarterback controversy and not realize he did it until afterwards and then he couldn't put the he couldn't put the toothpaste back in the tube. We watched that play out. Too late. And so, like, this has all happened. And the thing I keep thinking to myself is, all of a sudden, Sean McDermott's the best quarterback in the best best coach in the AFC East. <laughs> we have the most competent <laughs> yeah. coach in the AFC East because I think back to how he handled yep. the Nathan Peterman fiasco. We bench Tyrod Taylor, put right. in Nathan Peterman. He throws five picks and embarrasses us on national TV, and it's it's a mess. And he comes out in that post game press conference, and instead of trying to make excuses or try to say, "Well, it was a plan and this," and I'll, I'll we'll, we'll review it, he came out and said, "I made a mistake." Like, I was fed information by coaching. He's like, other people in the organization played a role in my decision-making, but it was my choice. I did this. Mm-hmm. I fucked it up. And there were people who asked the question in that press conference, how are you going to, how, like, how do you go back and talk to your locker room after, like, if you're going to stand here and own it, how do you go talk to him? And he goes, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go talk to the guys. We're going to go get this right. And then the next week we went on the road and we beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a game that nobody mm-hmm. gave us... That was a decision that could destroy a locker room, but because our coach handled it the right way, he was able to get out in front of it. My problem is when you look at the way Belichick is handling this now, I'm seeing that you're almost like you're telling your players to shut up and play. Don't You don't need to worry about what I'm doing. Shut up and do your job. Let me be the brains behind this. I don't need to include you in that. And then at the same token, you I saw that post-game interview from Mac Jones. It's one of the most uncomfortable things I've watched. Because oh, yeah. he wasn't prepped. He wasn't talked to about like, hey, man, listen, you're fine. This is going to be. So here's this kid who's just wide eyed, pale in front of the media, scratching his neck and going, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, staring off in his space. It's like, yeah, there's a million things going on in that kid's head because he's filled with legitimate doubt. And if you've done yeah. that to your hopefully franchise quarterback, first round draft pick, somehow made the Pro Bowl, you're you've already lost. Like, that's not a good place to put a kid like that, especially with all the turmoil going on. Can you agree with me no. on most of this? Yeah, I do. I mean, I it, look, this started back in the summer. It started back in the spring with how, how with who they saddled him for offensive coordinator. And I think they, they're sort of like going step by step in the handbook on how to ruin your second-year quarterback. Um, they need to get this kid back if they think he's the guy. I'm not sure if he's the guy. They drafted him 15. They obviously believe in him. They must think he is the guy to invest the capital that high in the draft pick, the highest that they've ever drafted a quarterback since Drew Bledsoe. So you got to earn that trust back. You're 100% right. You have to earn that trust back with that kid. I can tell you the old Bill Belichick from list, from the years of listening to the Patriots on Phil video show. Um, you know, Bill, just getting back to your point about the team, you know, the old Bill would be, listen, MFR. I said do it that way because that's the way I want it effing done. Now get your effing butt over there and sit down. I mean, that's that's what the old Bill was like. And the old Bill had the cachet, you know, to do that. With those players and those those teams, this is a new generation. These are new players. These are players that haven't won a damn thing. Okay, it's a completely different roster. You got Matthew Slater and, you know, uh, Devin McCourty and David Andrews on the team that have won Super Bowls. Um, 
And you brought back Jamie Collins and Marcus Cannon, who also won Super Bowls. But I'm, you know, I'm looking towards like the leaders on the team who yeah. are actually there and won championships. But these guys haven't done that. Somebody on the radio said today, one of the one of the uh, hosts, I forget who it was, said, you know, well, in the past, you know, they've done that, they've turned the script, and they they've had laser focus. No, they haven't. They haven't shown you that the past through three years at all because it's not the same group of guys. And so that is what I'm really interested in to see how the team responds moving forward. Okay, we know Max the guy. That's settled. We know Max the guy. How do we fix the run defense? How do we get the tight ends more involved? How do we run the ball again? For two straight games, they haven't run the ball that well, you know. Um, This vaunted running attack all of a sudden hit stone walls against the Bears and, uh, you know, against the Browns last week. So what's going on there? That's supposed to be the strength of your team. So there's so many questions to be answered. The last thing that they needed was a quarterback controversy, and hopefully they call it this week. You have to hope. Christian, where can people follow you on social? And uh, <laughs> we, where can people mail Get Well Soon cards for you? You can send everything to at Chris with the T-I-A-N on Twitter. My DMs are open. You can slide right in there if you like. You know, give me a <laughs> shot every now and then. I can assure you that I've tortured fans of many uh, AFC, many fans of AFC East fan bases, so... Uh, I'm, I'm willing to take my medicine. Whatever you want to throw at me, throw at me. Give me give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. And so to talk to us about the Dolphins this week, none other than Elf Artiaga. Elf, your Dolphins beat the Steelers on Sunday Night Football 16-10. to But before we get into that, you have like a... There's something I've noticed in my Twitter mentions, something I've seen going back and forth. Here's what I want to do. Twitter will throw you out if you say or do the wrong thing. Obviously, you have a professional decorum. You have your own channel you want to keep. I want to give you 30 seconds to say anything you want to Pat Cleary. (laughs) Uh, 30 seconds for Pat Cleary? For Pat Cleary. 30 seconds, say anything you want to. Okay, cool. Uh, (laughs) Pat, uh, you're a Buffalo Bills fan, right? Okay, your team is pretty good. Uh, your team was in contention for the Super Bowl the last two years. You have a fabulous quarterback. Why do you give a crap about what is happening on Sunday in Miami or Sunday night in Miami or uh, Sunday at one o'clock in New York or or whatever? It's 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 loser ish. Okay, <laughs> you know, uh, be better. Aren't you? If if you're a Bills fan, you should be enjoying this, not worried about whatever the Dolphins may be doing any given moment of any given day on any given Sunday. Okay, just ignore it. What if it's just you? (laughs) It's just you. He just. I don't. I don't. Well, there was one. There's one guy who was absolutely obsessed. Okay, and I I just I had to block him last night because I said, okay, this is weird because this guy's going to show up somewhere and I'm going to have to shoot him. Okay, remember I live in Florida. All right, so we're armed down here. As I say, well, Pat lives in Canada, so okay, so yeah, they don't allow butter knives up there. No, but but you know, there's this one guy who was like, okay, wait a minute. I started arguing with him, and I'm like, wait, Uh, I was doing some work, so. You know, I lost track of time, and it was 12.22 in the a.m., and this guy's sending me stats, and, oh, you see, uh, Tua's actually garbage, and let me explain to you why. And and I'm thinking to myself, why does this guy give a crap? His name was something like Josh Allen is better at this than you are at whatever you do or something like that. And I'm, I'm thinking, this is a Bills fan who's upset. And then I look at his timeline with me. And he sent me a, a tool is crap uh, tw- tweet at least two or three times a week. And I said, okay, I just got to block this guy. It's, 
what kind of existence does this guy have where he he decided, okay, now past midnight is when I'm I'm gonna start sending Alf evidence that his quarterback sucks. Alf, I'll like, tell you okay. this. I'm a troll. I was a troll before trolling. I was a troll before social media existed. Back in the message board days when I was sixteen like a teenager. I understand these people. That's why they're my people. I love these people. It's just hilarious that you managed to stumble into this mess and somehow get saddled with a handful of them. I just love it. I was like, we, we, I, I want to talk about this. So here's the other thing I want to talk about. I just bought a new house. We closed on it about two weeks ago. I've been slowly moving in and unpacking, and I'm trying as quickly as I can with every waking minute I have to get the house settled as fast as possible so I can just go back to living a normal existence. And so I didn't watch a single minute of NFL football on Sunday. Not a single second of NFL football. So we finally sit down. It's like nine something at night. And my wife goes, why don't you put the game on? You know, you've been busting your ass all day. Sit down, have a beer, relax. I said, okay, I will put on Sunday night football. It's it's halftime. You know, I'll, I'll check it out, see how the Dolphins and Steelers end up. It was 16 to 10 when I turned the TV on. And you guys spent the next, I don't know, two hours of my life just giving me blue balls over, can someone get a point? A single point. And my wife goes, why don't you just shut it off? I go, no, 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 no. They've got, I've, I've, I've already invested an hour into this mess. I will will one of these teams to put a point on that board. And they got me. They got me. You fooled me again. I, so I had to go back through the box score to figure out how the hell this happened. Because this is a rarity that no team, neither team, scores a point on primetime television either way. And I see that for you guys, it was a tale of two halves. You, know, you guys turn, you have this hot start, which kind of shows everybody that the offense works. You know, people, oh, the offense, the Miami offense, oh, it's been figured out. Nah, it works enough. It puts points on the board, but then fizzled out and... After some halftime adjustments were made by the Steelers, there was no offensive production to speak of other than a drive that ended short of the doorstep, and the coach decided to go for it. Now, last week I asked you a question, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back because it's it's just one of these things. Like, I asked you how the return of Tua could certainly, like, it could be a boost, but if some of the failures in execution that we've been watching your team trip through over that three-game losing streak might still be a problem after he returned and even after the offense started to kind of pick up speed and pick up the pieces as just a sign of some larger philosophical issues. Do you think that that second scoreless half underlined some of the Dolphins' more long-term problems for the rest of the season? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Although it revealed a few things. Like, I, I think that Chase Edmonds has to be on a short leash because it was it was that entire second half was just a tale of, like, just like a bunch of misses. I, I did the review on all on the all twenty two, and there was two touchdowns like that were missed by absolutely nothing. First of all, that fourth and three. Uh, uh, if you watch that play, Teron Armstead rides his man up the field almost fifteen yards. Okay, gives uh, Chase Edmonds his landmark cue on that run. For whatever reason, Chase Edmonds doesn't see it. He cuts back inside. He cuts back inside. He cuts outside, and there's nobody there. It's him and Minka at the five yard line, and he either gets in or doesn't. But he gets the first down for sure. Like that's 
And let's face it, you know, Minka's a, a really, really good player. He's a great player. He played a, he had a great game in that game. But Chase Edmonds is a 4-4 guy. He beats him to that corner, maybe. That's one touchdown. The second one is, for whatever reason, Tyreek Hill inexplicably slowing down and the ball falling right at his feet as he's slowing down because he's, he didn't run through it. Had he run through it, he might have still been running today. Right there, those are two touchdowns that puts him in the vicinity of 30 points, and you know we're all applauding this this offense. Well, and this, this was the crazy thing for me because you kind of hit on something with that first point. You're talking about that missed th- the fourth down conversion. So that play frustrated me so much that I took some of my own free time. Like you talk about, oh, who has time to dig into the, what's going on with the Dolphin? I do. Because I'm a petty son of a bitch. <laughs> That's how this whole AFC's podcast started, is because I'm a petty son of a bitch. And I wanted to talk about it. I looked through the rushing stats. And this is what I saw. Because if you look at that, how we talked about a tale of two halves. The first half, you guys had one drive with fewer than 30 yards. Just one punt and 16 points. You come back in the second half with five punts, no points, and three drives that ended with less than 10 yards. So I take a look and I go, what changed? Well... In the first half, the Miami running backs only had four plays that actually featured a running back, whether it was as a pass target or as a ball carrier, that netted three or fewer yards with just one lead directly leading to a punt. You had one bad running play that I don't know if it wasn't blocked properly or what happened, but it just it didn't get anywhere on a third and seven, and you guys punted. In the second half... Nine running back plays were run for less than three yards, four of them for zero or negative yardage. One of them led to a turnover, two of them led to punts. It seems like the more you guys tried to lean on the running game, it actually started to be to the team's detriment. Did you feel, did it feel that way watching it as a Dolphins fan? Absolutely. Especially when you start the second half, and I don't know if you saw the play. Did you see the the completion over the middle to Trent Sherfield? Yes. That was an absolute dot. That's another one that you could also chalk up. That's a great tackle by former Buffalo Bill Levi Wallace. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just grabbed an arm. <laughs> if he doesn't <laughs> grab an arm, if he misses that tackle, Sherfield runs 80 yards with a touchdown on the on one play. But it's a 42 yard completion. Okay, how can you start a drive? with a 42-yard completion and get no points out of the drive. It's And so I I guess the thing is, the the thing I walked away from this game with is your passing attack can do a lot of great things. Tua has proven that he's not going to make all of the crazy downfield throws that you see a lot of quarterbacks, but he can. If the guys can get out there and make them, he's shown opportunities to make them. At the same time, as soon as the Dolphins go, hey, all right, Turn to the running back. Mostert, Edmonds, we're going to lean on you for a couple plays this drive. You cheddar bob yourself. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're looking at third and long, going, wait a minute, how the hell did we get here? And then your offensive line doesn't pass block or you you guys don't get – and that's how you guys let the Steelers hang around in that game. I mean, it wasn't because of Kenny Pickett. The, The kid had three picks. And luckily for you guys, two in the final two drives of the game. But you guys let them hang around. Part of that's because your running game and your offensive line just really failed to execute. I mean, the biggest the biggest glaring thing I saw was Eichenberg. He's had a bad 2022, 
And in this game, it was brutal. <laughs> Led the team in pressures. Uh, what is it? Team tries to go no huddle. <laughs> Critical down. And he fucks it up with a false start. And then they have to punt. Is Eichenberg, are him and Edmonds kind of in the same boat? Like two guys who you look at them and you go, you should be able to do this, but they just continually fail? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where Eichenberg has put some good tape uh, the last couple of weeks, but it's pretty much the only good tape that we've seen, and it's mostly in the run game. In the past game, uh, he seems to go wherever Teron Armstead goes. And let me say something, another thing about Teron Armstead. I think I've I, I talked to you guys about, especially after that that week three game against Von Miller, Teron Armstead is an absolute stud. Like he was worth every single penny paid. Alex Highsmith came into the game leading the league in sacks. Uh, he was completely invisible. He had one pressure, and the one pressure was designed because it was a slip screen. So uh, Teron Armstead rendered Alex Highsmith completely useless in the game. Eichenberg seems to have to lean on Teron Armstead to, to do his job. And I think that that's a guy that they might have to start thinking about replacing because they, they've had some luck on a pin, in a pinch playing different guys at right tackle. Like Greg Little, before he mangled his hand, Played all right. Then he went to the bench, and then they used Brandon Shell, who they signed early this season, and they've been working up into the into the lineup. And when they signed him, they kind of said, "Yeah, this this is a guy that we're thinking about as a swing tackle." He played both spots. He's played them all right. He played all right in this game, and now Austin Jackson is coming back. So it's a numbers game where they're going to have options at left guard, and I think eventually. You know, they're going to take a long look at Liam Eikenberg, and they got to take a long look at a lot of guys because as the defense gets better, as it gets more injuries, okay, because they took another – Brandon Jones is now out for the year, by the way. He has an ACL. So that's two secondary guys. You guys just keep losing secondary players. Hey, you're going to need your offense. Like, that's yeah. the thing. So I guess as we leave this one and we look ahead – so you guys have a pretty soft schedule here coming up. So, that I mean, that's that's the silver lining here is like – because, you know, the question I was going to ask you is, in the macro, is there any concern? But realistically, you look, you've got the what, the Lions, the Bears, Tigers, oh my, <laughs> with the Browns. And the Texans. It, it's, the Texans. It's, like, it's a poo-poo platter of NFL teams. It's going to be fine to a point. But eventually there at the end of the year, you guys are going to, like, that's where I think, because this war of attrition that you guys are fighting right now, it's not going to get better. The, the, the odds are in the NFL, a sport with a 100% injury rate, that there will be more attrition between now and the time when your schedule gets tough. Do you believe that what you're seeing from the key components of this team, whether it's McDaniel's decision-making to uh, the, the two wide receivers who basically like are, are doing the yeoman's work on your offense— do you believe that that's going to be enough to sustain this team when down the stretch you guys are getting into some actual firefights of football games? Well, uh, and only in one regard. Uh, they keep promising us that they're going to get healthier. Uh, in the secondary and on defense, it mainly means getting Byron Jones back. And when he gets back, you know, they kind of found something with Cater Kohu. That was something that they didn't have before. Now he's kind of an essential player. He's missed two weeks. He might miss this week as well with an injury but he's a guy who could play in the slot he's pretty good if brian if, if byron jones returns then we're back at square one and essentially all we're missing is brandon jones and 
you know, we can replace him because, hey, you know, when we had a better defense statistically, the guy that was starting in his place was Eric Rowe, and he's still here. So, you know, they have a lot of depth, but now it's getting tested and stretched to its final limit. Like, they really can't take a ser- any more serious injuries in the secondary. Like, it's that's it. Well, it'll be interesting to see where you guys land. If any of our listeners want to, I don't know, reach out and... Uh... <laughs> Don't antagonize. I mean, Elfin is funny. It is funny. It's funny to sit here on the sidelines and watch. Where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find all your work? Uh, you can find all our podcasts wherever you get your podcast at number three yards per carry. You want to follow us on Twitter? It's the number three yards per carry. Don't follow me, though. Don't, you know, don't bother following me on social media anywhere. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. with us mr scott mason who clearly approves here to talk to us about the jets this week (laughs) the jets who beat the broncos by a score of 16 to 9 but still found like still found a way to come out of that game maybe the loser (laughs) scott the heater the heater is alive, but man, is the morale of your team dead. <laughs> First of all, as a production guy, I got to give it to Chris. That was very well done. Congrats. Chris. You're welcome. Good job. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, on the all, There's always next year podcast on the Play Like a Jet Network this week. So it's Brian Bassett and his, and his buddies, Travis Milton, who's a world-class chef, and Josh Conrad, who's a, a preacher. And uh, they were talking about the aftermath of this game. And I'm not a comic book guy, but uh, you may get the reference. And a bunch of the listeners did said it was like that that scene with Thanos when he's walking and, and the, he, something happened. And the girl said, how much did it cost? 
and Thanos says everything. It costs everything. <laughs> That's how it felt after this game because the Jets got that win, but it cost everything. They lost Brees Hall, who was the engine of their offense. They lost Elijah Vera Tucker, who was their best and most reliable offensive lineman who had played three different positions this year and played all of them well. Corey Davis, we're still not entirely sure when he's back. It might be this week. It might not. So, oh, that was a rough win. And it was a, it was an ugly game to begin with. And they were able to get out of there with a win. But to lose Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker for the season in the process was just brutal. Chris, this if there was a feeling I could ascribe to this football game, and Bills fans can Bills fans can actually sympathize with the way you guys feel right now. So you go back to was it twenty? It was Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chan Gailey. Ryan Fitzpatrick had just received his contract extension. The Bills won a game in Canada, shutting out the at, at the time the Washington Redskins. It's the only time Mike Shanahan's been shut out in his career. Only time. But in the process, Ryan Fitzpatrick got his ribs broken. <laughs> and at the time, nobody wanted to admit, like, okay, well, our quarterback is pretty crippled up and it's going to be bothering him for some time. There's no sure. But we'll be fine. This will all go. Well, it'll be okay. And it was not okay. And we won one more game. So after a 5-1 and one start, the Bills won one more game for the rest of the season to finish 6-10. and 10. And it was just... You saw that, like, finally the one injury that mattered happened, and you just felt it. You just, you felt it in the soles of your feet. You were like, oh, God. <laughs> it's, you know, and uh, I want to say it was Mortal Kombat. Like, there's a punch that you can throw where you hit a guy, and you actually get to watch his soul come out of his body. It was one <laughs> of those type of moments. And I think the Jets just had theirs. And, and the worst part is, this isn't your run-of-the-mill, co- like, we built our condo on an Indian burial ground, poltergeist-esque kind of cursed. I, I, I don't, so I don't think you can blame your owner for it. And it's not just your head coach, because this has been going on for over a decade and only seems to be getting worse. Like, people know that I love to trash the state of New Jersey, but I don't even think I can blame you guys as a population. Uh, to quote one of my favorite films, Basketball, it sure is raining shit on the New York Jets. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You go back to the beginning of the season, you guys lost your first starting left tackle and starting right tackle. You bring in a, a free agent off the street to play tackle, and he immediately gets hurt. Then you lose the, the next guy up. He ends up on crutches, who you have to play tackle. Then you lose your quarterback in the preseason, and you say to yourself, okay, <laughs> how bad is this going to get? Going into this game, you're without a backup safety, your third cornerback, your second defensive end, and your third wide receiver. So people could look at that injury situation and go, that's a mess. But like the great Billy Mays once said, but wait, there's more. (laughs) You guys go into this game and lose your star running back, star interior offensive lineman. You watch your wide receiver one go down with a knee injury. Even the trade for James Robinson this week to try to help fill that running back room, it just feels like this year's team, it's like a rubber band. You guys were doing so much with the rubber band just stretched so thin, and I just don't think you can stretch this roster any further. Well, the good news is that the Jets are 5-2, and and that they are far enough along that if they can somehow just win a few more games, they've got a shot at the playoffs, but... The, the killer here is, it, it reminds me a little bit of 1999, the first game of the season. The Jets were the 
odds on favorites to win the Super Bowl that year, which people forget because in 98, they had gone to the AFC championship game. They'd gone toe to toe with John Elway and the Denver Broncos. The Broncos eventually ended up winning the game at mile high. But remember, Elway had retired. So everybody just the Jets had all the key pieces coming back. And Vinny Testaverde on the first drive of the season goes back, goes down, torn ACL, out for the season. And I remember Keyshawn Johnson at the podium afterwards just pounding his fist on the table. Just you could see the frustration. He knew that the Jets had lost their one irreplaceable player on offense and that there was just never going to be a way for them to be a Super Bowl contender the way everybody expected. Now, obviously, not saying the Jets were a Super Bowl contender with Brees Hall, but my point is the Jets lost their one irreplaceable player on offense with Brees Hall, and so now they have to find a way to manufacture enough wins to salvage this. And I think the James Robinson move was really good. They acted quickly enough that Robinson should be able to play Sunday against the Patriots, even if it's just in a limited fashion. And Robinson's a good back, and they needed somebody like him, 5'9", 220, who can take the bulk of the carries. But what this really comes down to is, and we've talked about this a lot, guys, and you know I've said this over and over again, the offseason plan for Zach Wilson's development was to get a guy like Brees Hall and to use him to run the offense through, to have him touch the ball 20 times a game, be the bell cow, be the guy that was the major producer on the offense, Zach Wilson – only has to throw 20 to 25 times a game, manage the game, and just play at a competent level, and then eventually you start letting him do more and more and more and more, right? Well, now that plan can't work because if we're being honest about it, Zach Wilson has been playing like a bottom five quarterback in the NFL this year. That's one of the things that I think was most glaring about this last game. Right. If anything underscored the fact that without Brees Hall, this team is in trouble, it's this game against the Broncos. Now, you guys go on to win. Your defense does a phenomenal job of just shutting down the Broncos. Sauce Gardner has just, again, he's playing out of this world football for a rookie. He's he's going to be a pro bowler as a rookie doing one of the toughest things in football, which is playing man coverage primarily. Like, right. that's insane. So you turn around to the other side of the ball and you say, okay, well, we need somebody to make things happen without him. It's hard to see it coming from the quarterback. Your whole wide receiver room coming out of this game had 43 total yards. Right. Like, that can't happen. Your quarterback, it's like zero touchdown passes for a third consecutive week. Well, and the other thing is if you look at a lot of his production uh, the previous weeks, you had Brees Hall – with 100 yards receiving in that win against the Dolphins. But let's remember that almost all of those yards came from Brees Hall, not from air yards by Zach Wilson. And so you take him out of the equation, and those numbers dip down too. And So so if you take the rushing, because I I looked at this, because at first I saw 10 first downs in the game. You guys won a game getting doubled up in first down production, which is crazy, but it also tells you the quarterback's not moving the sticks consistently. Correct. So – you look at it, and I went back and I looked at every quarterback, starting quarterback in the AFC East. Zach Wilson only accounts for 55% of the team's total yardage. Mm-hmm. The lowest in the AFC East. So you just lost a major chunk of that remaining 45%. 
it's got to come from somewhere. And the problem is, is I don't know that uh, can he make up 20 percent of that? I feel well, like that's a giant ask. My my friend Justin Freed over at the Jet Press wrote a really good piece about this. And the title of his piece, I believe, was something along the lines of it's time for Zach Wilson to be the guy the Jets thought he was. And basically what he was saying in the piece, and it articulated very well what a lot of us have been saying. There, there is a faction of Jets fans that get angry when you point this out. But yes, the Jets are five and two, and we're all very happy for that. Believe me, you know this. We talk all the time. Thrilled the Jets are five and two, and that I can actually look forward to watching them on Sundays. But the the formula was shaky to begin with in today's NFL, having so much of it rely on the running back. Uh, now that 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 star running back isn't there, it makes it infinitely harder. Because the thing is, the Jets were, were hoping that Zach Wilson would at least be operating as like a top 20 quarterback, which is a little bit below average, but manageable by this point. And it, it, he's not there right now. And that's not to say he can't get there or that he can't be significantly better than that. It's just that he's not there right now. And so with Brees Hall gone especially, he's got to step up and, and be better than what he's been. He's got to at least be something close to a league average quarterback, even with a really good defense and, and a stellar running game. It, it, you're not going to look, no one was expecting them necessarily to beat the bills, but you're going to have trouble with any of these playoff teams. If, if you've got bottom five quarterback play and your running attack isn't in the top five or something close to it. Right. So that's really what it's going to come down to now is yes. James Robinson was a very necessary move and, he also was was smart because it, it gives the Jets an insurance policy for next year because he's a restricted free agent. So the Jets can retain him in case Brees Hall isn't ready to go to start the season, which he most likely won't be. You're probably looking at October or November for him to come back. But James Robinson, for being a quality back, is not good enough to completely run your offense through. And so Zach Wilson is going to have to be better than he's been for this team to continue to win games. And look, maybe they can get by the Patriots this week. I know the Patriots were terrible against the Bears this past week, but I can't imagine that they're going to be anything close to this bad for a second week in a row, especially with Mac Jones shaking off some of the rust and Bill Belichick having a full week to seethe and game plan. We know how that goes. Bill, Bill that Belichick game. having a whole week to try to prepare, right. uh, at least tell his players, guys, if I make up a lie to the media, I need you to just go with it. All right. It's almost <laughs> like in Ghostbusters when they're just like all, you know, when they're up on the rooftop and he goes, the next time someone asks you if you're a God, you say yes. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I so, do. like, ultimately, what this comes down to is, if the Jets are going to be able to find a way into the playoffs, and and this is something that a lot of people don't get either, because people said, "Oh well, th this season was about the young players playing well, and this and that, and it's all about uh, the you know guys that are producing that are that are on the younger side," but really. Those expectations have to shift when you start talking about the team starting out five and two. Like those are cute expectations when you expect the team to be two and five. But when they're five and two and right now, believe it or not, tied for the second best record in the AFC. Right. 
you have to change your expectations. And that's why Joe Douglas went out and made the move that he did for James Robinson because he understands the Jets are within striking distance of making the playoffs for the first time in 12 years, and he's not going to let that opportunity go to waste. But it's not going to work unless Zach Wilson starts to play better. I mean, there was one clip, I believe it was Garrett Wilson, you could overhear him, where Zach Wilson underthrew him. He missed easy throws all afternoon and, and was just not getting the ball where it needed to be. And it was one of those plays where I think if he had led Garrett Wilson, it could have been a 20, 25-yard game. But instead, Wilson had to come back and grab the ball short of the sticks. And you could hear him. I don't want to say he sounded frustrated, but he was basically saying to Zach Wilson, lead me, lead me. And that's really this – is, this is something that needs to, to get better. And look, people will make excuses. And I'm not saying it's all Zach Wilson's fault or that he's been – that everything he's done has been bad, but – Look, when, when you have a quarterback who's still missing easy throws like that, who looks so indecisive, who's holding the ball longer than any quarterback in the NFL, ESPN had that stat, that he's, mm-hmm. he's holding the ball longer than any quarterback in the NFL, that's a problem, and, and that has to change if this team wants to be able to go somewhere this year. Again, no one expected it before the year, but now that they're 5-2, and two, They've got to find a way to make this happen, and no one well, expects Zach Wilson. It's here on the doorstep now. I mean, that's the thing. You guys are yeah. going to go up again this week. It's I can't wait to do this again next week so we can look back with both you and Christian and talk about what did go well, what didn't go well. This is it. Can Zach Wilson step up to the plate? If there was ever a game that the Jets needed him to try to become that guy, it's this one. I can't wait to follow along with you guys over there at Play Like a Jet all your work that you're doing. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on social media? Sure. You can follow me at play like a jet one on Twitter. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. We're going to have plenty of all 22 breakdowns. We've got a ton up there already. Courtesy of the thunder from down under Luke Grant. He's definitely going to be having one up, uh, putting one up of James Robinson, the newest jet. That'll be up shortly. We've got some cool shows this week. We had a breaking news podcast when everything broke out. I was planning to run the our normally scheduled Tuesday show, and then everything happened, so we ended up doing a breaking news podcast. Uh, we've got a special show coming up just detailing everything about James Robinson. I'll be talking to Jordan DeLugo from Generation Jag about his time in Jacksonville. Luke Grant will join me to break down the film as well, and we'll do the pregame report, try and help you make a few bucks. We've got Know Your Foe with uh, uh, you know where we take a look at, at the other team, uh, in detail with somebody that covers the team and drew obviously i'll be calling on you next week in the lead up to the bills game to come on and, and talk about the bills with me 100 so shows seven days a week you can find us spotify youtube uh, excuse me spotify apple stitcher google play we're we're like an rko we come out of nowhere seven days a week and we always end up getting the one, two, three for the pin, just like Randy Orton. Scott Mason, Alfar Tiaga, Christian Simonelli. They are the diamond mine of the <laughs> AFC East. <laughs> the diamond mine? Yeah. Diamond Dallas Page. <sighs> Scott Hall. Involved. Oh, no. Scott Hall, when he was called the diamond stud. <laughs> No, he was actually called the Diamond Stud. Yeah, this is pre-Razor Ramon. Oh, my God. See, like, Razor Ramon as a kid was one of the coolest wrestlers of that, like, 
that 90s era. I don't know why, but as a kid, I just thought Razor Ramon was the coolest. Well, obviously, you could relate to him. He's playing a Puerto Rican just like you are, except <laughs> he's a high-level Puerto Rican and you're low-level trash. What I loved about what I love about this though is knowing that like some of these guys is it like a requisite that you like a prereq that when you first get into wrestling you just have to take the crappiest name they give you? Yeah. Do you get to come up with your own, do you think, or are they assigned a name? Usually assigned. Like how Stone Cold Steve Austin was the ringmaster? Like what? Yeah, or even before that, he was stunning Steve. Stunning Steve. <laughs> I think if you if you make a name for yourself on the indies with your own name, then you get to keep it. Okay, so if you go the independent route and you come in and you've just got a badass name, but there's a little bit of a following there, they say, okay, you can keep that. But if you're just some schmuck from a gym who has big muscles, they say, okay, we get to call you the Repo Man. And you just have to go out there and swing around a, a rusty metal hook. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you got to do on the downside of your career. <laughs> oh, what a mess. So that brings us to our Buffalo Bills. Now, obviously, you've already heard our podcasts with Reed Ferguson and with uh, our Green Bay preview show, which if you haven't, what the hell are you doing? Go listen to these things. It was fun getting to catch up with Reed. Uh, you look at the Buffalo Bills. This team, things couldn't be better. <laughs> Unlike our divisional opponents, things couldn't be better. Are you specifically talking about the injury report? I'm just talking. I'm talking about everything. I mean, we're on, if not for a few disastrous plays, we could be undefeated. We're currently sitting still in the driver's seat of the AFC. It's been good times. And coming out of the bye, everybody feels pretty great about the direction of this team amongst its AFC peers. I... I have a broader point on that that I find incredibly interesting. And a recent event sent me down this rabbit hole that I think is worth discussing here with you guys. Now, there's a couple journalists, Chris. Do you know their names? No. The folks over at the Locked On Warriors podcast. And at the end oh, of one that. Of the, and at the end of one of the recent recording sessions, apropos of nothing, they, they decided that they were going to go viral. With this nonsensical minute and change of audio. You and I talked about this. I can't remember if it was on the show or off the air about how ridiculous it is that so many people get their information or are entertained by podcasts, by shows that feature people who have no connections, who have no background in the NBA. They're just like fans. But for some reason, people love them. I, I mean, the I, I don't yeah. I don't have a problem with that. If, you know, those hosts and look, I'm good friends with Bram Hillsman, who's the host of Warriors Huddle. He's a very close friend of mine. He would tell you he's just a fan of the team. He's not, <laughs> you know, an insider. But the thing that I respect about his show is that he has, you know, experts on and all the time. And he and I do think that dynamic can be really good. But if it, if a podcast is just a couple fans sitting around and pontificating, why should I listen to you? Because. You don't know anything more than Joe Schmo walking down the street. You haven't, uh, you know, you haven't talked to anyone. You don't have any actual insight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's some networks out there like, oh, I don't know, one called Blue Wire. And the problem is networks like that tarnish the image of all the other shows. And these teams take note of that and it affects our damn uh, access and credibility. There you go. Two losers from Locked On. 
Warriors. Well, I've got their Com- names. Cyrus S three A's and a T and a Z and Connor Letourno. Both of whom <laughs> oh. so, so they're complaining about fans having podcasts on a podcast. <clears throat> right? Yeah. Now there's a lot to unpack there. And since you and I, Chris, are such professional broadcasters and obviously carry ourselves in a much, you know, in a very serious and professional tone, I want to start by making a few incredibly nuanced and salient points and observations. Uh, First of all, both of these gentlemen have facial hair that looks like they shouldn't be allowed near an elementary school. So if we're tarnishing the medium, sir, turn your cameras off. (laughs) You're tarnishing the you're tarnishing YouTube. Cyrus, he's, I think he was the one that did the majority of the talking. I believe he probably also has, like, a ponytail. He looks like Zod. <laughs> right? He has, like, a pulled-back ponytail. I'll, I'll be damned if I let Zod talk down to me. Like, he knows more than those. Okay. For, second of all, shout-out to our partner company, Blue Wire. Hey, listen, ain't no pub. Listen, good pub, bad pub, it's all pub, right? Yeah. Seriously, though, when you think about this, like that statement that he made about these guys are tarnished, they're, they're hurting our access. If a bunch of amateur podcasters can hurt your ability as a journalist to get access to the team, that should tell you how tenuous your grasp is on this job, which probably means you're not great at it. Correct or incorrect? That's correct. <laughs> and the the amount of insecurity in those statements... Carry a, it just carries a very George Costanza after being in the pool kind of a vibe. <laughs> it's, it's George Costanza-esque. Now, I responded, like I saw somebody tweet that out, and I just kind of quoted it, and just I remember tweeting about it the night I first saw it, after you texted it to me, Chris. And I said, listen, I don't pretend to be the smartest person in the world. We're lucky that we have smart friends like Brett Coleman, and Matt Waldman and Mark Schofield and Bruce Nolan and all of these guys, the guys over at Cover One. And we do these economic shows and Ryan Lasel comes in and sits with us. And We have smart people who come and help fill in the gaps of what we don't know. And at the same time, probably more important than anything they do, anything they know, their quote unquote access. I don't care if you can go talk to player XYZ about what they think or feel. Can you make somebody else feel something? Can you make somebody else think? Because if you like that, I almost think that that's more important, isn't it? Yeah. You know that when I first listened to that, you know who I thought of? All these fans that have podcasts with no connections. Like, how do you how do you start getting into the industry of media? You know, I thought of was Wingfield. Yeah. Here's a dude that came up with something called uh, the Finalysis Podcast. Dumb name. His first experience on a podcast was with us. Close, with Kyle and Gary, the AFC East bros. And then they passed him off to us, and then he became a routine, and then you started doing some production for him. Yes. And then he got hired by Locked On Dolphins, and then that shot up to, like, the number one Locked On NFL team podcast out of all however many teams that they had at the time. And then the Dolphins took notice because they're progressive. And then they hired this guy. (laughs) And he's essentially the Miami Dolphins' Chris Brown. 
but sure, fans off the street, they don't yeah, know anything. He doesn't know anything. I, here, here's a question. How many of our local journalists covering the Bills here in Buffalo do you think can look at a piece of film and ID a hook defender? Who can point out an overhang defender or even tell you what that is? Or differentiate between quarters coverage and cover two? <laughs> Probably not many. How many of these guardians of the sanctity of journalism do you think actually understand and study the salary cap? I know for a fact that we're blocked by a member of the Buffalo News who has no idea how that works, or at least writes his training camp articles that nonsensically put players like Zach Moss and Cody Ford as cut candidates, as if he doesn't know how it works. If anything, we're more likable than these gatekeeping jerks, because that's all they have, is access. Without that, they've got nothing. Meanwhile, you and I, Chris, the Joes off the street, not only make salient points and present relevant data, we make genuine connections with other human beings in the process, be it among our listeners or among our own community of content creators. And we don't treat people the way that they do. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. I've got a shining example of this from earlier this week as a segue into our Bills conversation of the night, because I can't make you guys listen to 45 minutes of us talk about other teams and not give you something Bills-related. Last week, during our KC recap, I talked about a rooting for this team and getting to watch Josh Allen play football is ruining other teams for me. As I sat there on Sunday night through the nightmare of a Dolphins game, I found myself browsing box scores and thinking the same thing. I mean, the, the NFL sucked this past week. And so then you start talking to other content creators, and I started to EJ from Bootleg Football, who showed the graphs where EPA is down precipitously from last year on offense, and it's it's worse than it's been in years. And fantasy football, lowest point totals in five years, according to ESPN, through eight weeks. Ugly games are all over the place. And then the narrative gains strength because the most visible games, your primetime games, have put out some really just brutal football games to watch. Or you get to watch teams that were supposed to be good just fall on their faces. And so that got me thinking, and it sent me down this rabbit hole of research for a smoking gun, trying to find the reason. Because even statistical outliers have some sort of causation. And I think I found something. And it should make Bills fans feel really good about the sustainability of our franchise in this competitive window we're in. I started thinking to myself, what happened to all the middle-class teams? You know, the Bills used to be a middle-class team, maybe bottom feeder, kind of flirting with middle-class, where you could get a quarterback somewhere into like the 15th best passer or 13th best passer, but never crack that top 10. So I took a look at the middle-class of quarterback. I... <laughs> I, I went back, and this is what I did, was you always go backwards and work forwards. So I went back to 2017, and I said, when the Bills made the playoffs the last time, what did it look like? Now, Chris, you've seen it in our DMs a couple times, and if you haven't, I can send you the photos. But essentially, what I'm looking at right now is a screenshot from Pro Football Reference of the 11th and through 20th passers in 2017. Jared Goff, Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, Jameis Winston, Derek Carr, Eli Manning, Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton, Cam Newton, Carson Wentz, and Marcus Mariota. When you look at the makeup of that group, okay, you see that there's highly drafted young players who are trying to show that they're worth an extension. A lot of them who just either weren't worth the extension they got or didn't get it between Winston, Mariota, Wentz, Goff. 
You've got your journeymen in there who are just outperforming expectations in uh, Case Keenum. And I think the most important group here is the aging veterans playing out a previous extension that the market has already bypassed in terms of you know value and where they rank. You had Andy Dalton at the kind of end of his career with the Bengals. Cam Newton at the end of his run with the, the Carolina Panthers. And Eli Manning at age 36, who was just happy to be in the NFL still. And that all feels right, doesn't it? That should be the type of player that's making up your 11th through 20th quarterback. With only a handful of guys who are still getting paid anything, and of those guys, they're not getting paid much. You know, there's at least 7 to 10 other guys making more money than them. Doesn't that feel about right? Yeah. Okay. Because you shouldn't be paying a ton for that kind of production. At least not in the league with a salary cap. So then you look at this season, and I went and I took a look at this year's middle class. These are the 11th through 20th. Jacoby Brissett, Jared Goff, Matt Stafford, Derek Carr, Jalen Hurts, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson, and Lamar Jackson. This is a mess. Like Five players in the top 10 for quarterback cap hits in 2022. Garoppolo, Stafford, and Russell Wilson. Yeah, Danger Russ. <laughs> that sellout who's slowly killing everybody with his play and giving quotes to the media about how he's trying to train his body not to poop. I told you before we started recording, he's become an unfunny white Goodman. That's what this guy is. He's a lunatic. He's killing everybody like mustard gas over there in the central Northwest. They're 12th, 14th, and 15th in cap hits. Sam Darnold isn't rosterable on game day, according to the Panthers, but he's 10th highest cap hit amongst all quarterbacks in the NFL. Carson Wentz is 6th in the NFL in cap hit, but he's getting the bus backed over him by his own head coach. And in a disastrous AFC South, Ryan Tannehill has the largest cap hit in the NFL. Matt Ryan, who just got, if he hadn't been hurt, he was going to get benched anyway, is 11th. They're not even good enough to crack the middle class, but they're getting paid like superstars. And then you look at the guys who are maybe the biggest problem. Because you look at it and say, why on a whole have these things gotten so bad? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is, is the I think, the highest paid quarterback this year. Sounds about right. Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill has the biggest cap hit, but I think Aaron Rodgers has the biggest active contract. Because Kyler Murray slots in right behind him. Tom Brady is up there. Look at all the maneuvering those two guys did. They've gotten coaches fired. They've gotten people traded. They basically have called their own shot all the way to the teams that they're currently on. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady now play for football teams that either have gross liabilities in their wide receiver room. Stafford is first. Okay. Or because they paid their wide receiver room, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, have no depth on their offensive line. And because of injuries, can't protect Tom Brady. The reality is the the two oldest active quarterbacks in football have the shortest time from snap to pressure at 2.2 seconds. You want to know why those offenses are floundering? Because you look by and large. I mean, this is it. So, and I bounce these ideas off different content creators out there. I turned to Bruce Nolan and I said, hey, I've got an idea and he gave me some direction. And then I went to EJ and he gave me some more, hey, you know, that's a good idea, but have you thought about it from this angle? And it led me to this. The league no longer has a middle class that's being paid like 
a middle class. Instead, the middle class of pastors in the NFL is getting paid like fucking rock stars. It's like actual America. Yes. <laughs> There's no middle class. The, these quarterbacks are names. They're empty suits. The guys who are making the most money, and you're seeing it play out in terms of performance this season. And that sounds about right, because this last summer, wasn't this the most quarterback chaos we've ever talked about in a single NFL offseason? Rumors of trades, tr- threats of trades. Nobody knew what was going to happen with... Uh, retirements and comebacks. Retirements, comebacks, uh, giant contracts being given out to play. It, it was all craziness. There's a ripple effect to that when you start handing out cash like that to guys who haven't earned it. Okay? Now, I'm not a fucking genius, but you'd think it would make sense not to set the market in terms of cap hit for a guy who needs a lot of help, be it an all-star offensive line or stud-wide receivers or a great running game to take the pressure off him. You shouldn't be paying that guy like he's an all-star because you're going to regret it. I mean, right now you've got GMs out there who made the mistake of paying Lexus prices for Nissan quality. That's what you're seeing, and you're watching it play out on, on offense across the NFL. Like that Altima you used to drive? Yeah. So then you, <laughs> but, but so then I turn to some other people, and I go to Brett, and I go to Greg, Greg Thompson from Cover One, and I just I bounce these off him, and I go, well, I don't understand, though. Like, why not just draft? And he goes, well, drafting quarterbacks is hard. Look no further than the 2018 NFL draft. The Bills were one of a handful of teams trying to snag a quarterback. And the rumor is they actually wanted Darnold compared to Allen, and that's why the Jets traded all the way up to three, is because they wanted their pick of whoever was left before the Bills got a crack at it. Two other quarterback-hungry teams got bites at the apple before Buffalo finally convinced the Buccaneers to trade us the seventh pick so we could snag the wrong Josh. You remember that conversation? The wrong Josh? Look back at that class now. Donald and Mayfield are literally teammates riding pine behind a USFL player. Josh Rosen is like that kid Bertram from the Sandlot, where he, when he's going down the, the, the lineup of all the kids he used to play baseball with and what happened to him, and they go, Bertram just really got into the 60s, and then no one ever saw him again. <laughs> that's, that's Josh Rosen. Lamar Jackson is in this weird stalemate with Baltimore over a contract that he thinks he's worth. And the team, like, they're winning, but they're on the ropes. Mason Rudolph, Mike White, like, that class had all the promise in the world, and it, it was a disaster. Allen is the only one of those guys who was the look of a longtime franchise quarterback who might be able to seal the deal and bring his city a Super Bowl while he's still in his prime. He's the only one from that whole class. And the subsequent classes, the years after that, 19, 20, they don't look better right now. So this is a multifaceted issue, but you look at it and go, "That's this is what you get when you have such a hard time IDing quarterback talent in the draft. GMs are forced to hang on to any quarterback they can get their hands on, no matter the cost, even if it doesn't make any fucking sense with cap management. That's the change this season from so many fun years of explosive offensive football we've seen over the last decade. And if we want to go farther with this, I'm sure we could bring in a Joe Marino or a Mark Waldman or a Mark Schofield to really dissect why scouting has become so difficult. What's changed at the college level that has made teams say, you know what I want? Give me the ghost of Matt Ryan instead of going into the draft or instead of trusting Sam Ellinger. I saw an article today about Carolina scouts uh, all over Justin Herbert, but 
Gettleman didn't want to make the trade up to get Herbert, to like get to three, because what, no, four, because Miami was five and the Chargers were six, that Gettleman didn't want to make that trade up because he figured he losing the draft capital that he would have to give up to move those spots would take away from what he was looking for amongst other positions in the draft. And where's Gettleman now? Unemployed. <laughs> and that's, that's it. So, see, this topic and the way that I came to this point and the research that was done, this is what you get from a bunch of quote-unquote Joes off the street. We're actually a, con- a community, a community of content creators that care so much about these topics that we give pieces of ourselves and our free time to them. Even if there's no grand paycheck in it for us or fancy laminate that lets us rub elbows with players in the locker room, we do it together and we do it for love of the game. So you guys, that's almost, Chris, isn't that almost more insulting to them? Here yeah. they are with all their access and all their, well, I get to talk to the coach and I get to talk to the players. Yeah. I'm just an asshole with a beer in each hand and Google and a little bit of free time when my wife falls asleep on the couch. And yet here I am bringing my listeners something that these clowns can't even dream of. Love of the game, Chris. That's why we started doing it. It's why we still do it. And luckily for us, compared to the rest of the NFL, we're living our best lives with a team that was built the right way with a quarterback who, because of his contract, will continue to provide great value while so many others, like the Cardinals, who just signed Kyler Murray to that contract, will continue to fail. I'll drink a Montucky to that. And with that, we got to get out of here. Guys, it's been a fun week of podcasting. I can't wait to see what next week brings. I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Kruger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.